did better than I did. Well, we're going to be back in the Didache tonight, chapter 8. This is over fasting and prayer. So the plan is tonight we'll talk about fasting, and then next Wednesday I will finish up chapter 8 with prayer. That'll be the plan. So with that, I'll jump into this. Um, Didache chapter 8, fasting and prayer. This is the Lord's Prayer. But let not your fast be with the hypocrite, for they fast the second and fifth day of the week. Rather fast on the fourth day and the preparation of the Friday. Uh, this says, do not pray like hypocrites, but rather as the Lord commanded his gospel like this. So we'll cover the prayer next week. I want to focus on fasting this week. So the background verse is uh, chapter 8, dedicate chapter 8, fasting and prayer. Chapter 6, and we'll talk about that a little bit. Yesterday, I spoke. So, dedicate chapter eight, talking about fasting, and a background verse is Matthew six, where we talked about Matthew uh, six, verse fifteen through eighteen. And so, in Matthew six, Jesus deals with three commonly abused religious practices in Israel. You go to uh, Matthew six one, and you get up through there. He talks about giving, praying, and fasting. The fasting part comes in at verses sixteen through eighteen. So the, uh, the religious leaders at the time, they had take, taken something that was good in and of itself and made something bad out of it because they were praying, giving, fasting to be seen by other people, getting praise of men more than the praise of God. And, um, and fasting literally means not to eat. So you'll see in Matthew chapter verse 16 through 18 in the Didache, Martha was talking about where they, they fasted on certain days of the week and they were doing that to be seen by men. Um, so fasting means not to eat, which is giving up food to seek God for a specific reason. Um, that, that reason is so important to people because you're willing to give up food to forsake food to be able to fast, which enhances your prayer life and your relationship with God. That is the purpose of fasting is to enhance your prayer life and relationship with God. Uh, we can also fast on things other than food. We can, instead of just giving up food, we give up other things. Um, we can ask ourselves, is there something in my life that is keeping me from worshiping God or being close to God? You know, maybe it's sports, maybe it's TV, maybe social media. All those things would be good to give up for a short amount of time, but you want to fast over those items as well. So it's different being close than food, but you can fast to a different item. You notice in the Didache, it talks about um, they fast on certain days of the week. So it's not meant to introduce fasting, but it's just meant to tell the Christian how they should fast. Because he says, let your fast makes it clear that Christians typically fasted at this time. So um, fasting was common this time in Israel, but the Day of Atonement was the only day they were required to fast. And that day was they were called to deny themselves, which was a Hebrew expression that includes forsaking food. Now, we don't practice the Day of Atonement anymore because Jesus paid for our sins once and all on the, on the cross, so we don't do and practice the Day of Atonement anymore. So, but he 
practice day of atonement, it is clear through Scripture that even though we're not commanded to fast in the New Testament, it was meant that we could see that we're expected as believers to fast. Because even though we weren't commanded, there's clear examples in the New Testament of not only Jesus, but also the disciples fasting. So even though we weren't commanded to fast, it was just the norm for Christians back in their time to fast. Um, the intent on the Didache text, when it says, um, do not let your fast be with the hypocrites, for they fast on the second and fifth day of the week, um, fast on the fourth day of preparation day, which is Friday. So the intent of this was not to teach exactly to fast or what day you should fast, because the distinction was meant to have the Christian be different than the hypocrite and the pietist in this time because they had turned away from true religion because they were fasting for the praise of men and not to seek glory from God. So if you go to the background verse, Matthew 6, verse 16 through 18, we see this is Jesus talking. And when you fast, do not look gloomy like the hypocrites, for they disfigure their faces and their fasting may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face, that your fasting may not be seen by others, but by your Father who is in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. So Christ describes how the religious leaders commonly abused the discipline of fasting. So they would purposely look sullen and sad. They would cover their, they would disfigure their faces and cover their faces with ashes and dirt. They would wear their old clothes, their oldest and dirtiest clothes, to make everybody say, hey, look at me, I'm fasting. Oh, woe is me, I'm so pious. And I'm fasting to draw attention to themselves. Now, as the Didache author pointed out, that the Pharisees fasted, they talk about the uh, second and fifth day, that's Monday and Thursday. So the Pharisees fasted on Monday and Thursday. They claimed the reason they fasted those two days is that was the two days that that Moses ascended and descended the mountain of Sinai and he received uh, the law. So that's the reason they picked those two days. It just so happened that Monday and Thursday were the major market days in Jerusalem. This is when all the Jewish people in the, in the countryside would come in to buy and sell. So it just happens that those days corresponded with that. So clearly these days were meant for the religious leaders to be seen by the Jewish crowd. That was their purpose. Jesus called them hypocrites. We saw that in Matthew. Because their fasting was about putting on a show and receiving applause or admiration from man. And Jesus said, they've gotten you. So Jesus was not going to answer their prayers. He was not going to give them a reward for being righteous and fasting because they were doing it for the wrong reasons. And this is reinforced in the Didache when he says, do not pray like the hypocrites. And he's talking about these pietists that were, that were fasting on those two days of the week, the busiest day in the market. So because the pious Jews fast on Monday and Thursday, the author of the Didache picked different days. He picked Wednesday and Friday. There was no significance of those dates other than it was different when the Jews picked those dates because the Christians wanted to separate themselves from these Jewish people and these things would be different. That's the reason they're picking the different days of the week. And that's what the dedication is talking about. So, so tonight, I want to talk about fasting and why we should fast. And now Kevin, he just did a two-part sermon two Sundays over a month ago on fasting. didn't want to go over what he had just preached about, so what I thought about here is I wanted to look at fasting through the context of spiritual warfare. If you look at the world today, it's a pretty scary place. People are angry, people are upset, and I believe that we're under a spiritual attack right now. And so fasting is one of the spiritual disciplines that can help us repel the devil and his attacks on us. That's what I'm going to talk about tonight is, is fasting in the context of spiritual warfare. And the main 
study is fasting, but you don't really say a lot about prayer and fasting because they go hand in hand. You can you can pray without fasting, but you can't fast without praying. So I'm talking about fasting, but you don't hear me say a lot prayer and fasting, prayer and fasting, because they go hand in hand. So uh, there is a spiritual battle taking place in America, and we must understand that we are in war. It's not a physical war. It's a spiritual war. In order to defend ourselves against the devil, we must train our minds and our hearts in the spiritual disciplines. And we see this in Ephesians 6.12. I've got several verses. You don't have to look these up, um, but I'll, I'll go through these. So Paul tells us in Ephesians 6.12, For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. So this spiritual battle has been, been going on for years. It was going on when Paul was alive, and it's going on today. And if Jesus tarries and doesn't come back, it'll be going on long after we're gone, as long as the devil has his way. So before we can start training for success and talking about how fasting can help us, we must understand who we are in Christ how we prepare ourselves to wage war in the spiritual realm. So our battle is really a defensive battle rather than an offensive battle. So they talk about spiritual warfare, but we're really on the defense because Christ has already already won the victory. When he paid for our sins on the cross, he defeated the devil, and the victory has already been won. So our job are to share the gospel, kind of like the saboteurs behind enemy lines are doing in the in the the spiritual battle, and to hold our ground and to claim the victory that Jesus has already won for us. So the devil wants to plant doubts in our minds about our place in Christ and the victory that's already been won. That's his main weapon, is to plant doubts in our minds that you're really not saved, God really doesn't love you, you're not good enough, and all these different, and that, that is spiritual warfare that's going on in your mind. I don't know if anybody else has thought that way, but I have a lot. So that's the spiritual warfare that I'm talking about. So I'm going to look at a, a few verses that shows what changes that must take place in us before we can hold our ground and claim the victory. So first place I want to go is John 3, verse 5 and 6, which tells how we must be born again. That's the first step. So in John 3, verse 5 and 6, Jesus answered, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh. That which is born of the Spirit is spirit. So this is a spiritual battle. So we must be reborn in the Spirit because the flesh has no value in this world or the world to come. We've got to be reborn in the Spirit. We must be reborn into a new creation with a new focus on God and his kingdom. In 2 Corinthians 5.17, it tells us, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. This is the transition from the flesh to the spirit that we read about in John 3.6. So we must be reborn in the spirit. We have to be transformed from the flesh the spirit in order to stand our ground and have any hope of battling the devil. Alright? Christians are called to be holy. 1 Peter 1, 13 through 16 tells us, Therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that was brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance, but as he would but as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct, as it is written, You shall be holy, for I am holy. Notice he didn't say prepare your body for action. He said prepare your mind for action and be sober-minded. Because there again, I'm talking about the spiritual warfare. And then be holy because he is holy. We're talking about walking in Christ with our conduct. So fasting and prayer helps us stay obedient helps us to stay focused on God so we don't slide, let me get that in there, so we don't slide back into our old self. 
for believers, this is a spiritual battle to stay obedient children who do not go back to the passions of our former ignorance. That is the main spiritual battle as Christians. It's a day-by-day walk, and we walk not in our own power, in our own strength, but in Christ's strength, in Christ's power. How do you stay connected to that? Look at Matthew. That's how you stay connected. Next, we must desire a new heart. Psalm 51, 10 through 12 tells us, Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from your presence, and take not your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation, and uphold me with a willing spirit. So the mind and the heart is where the battlefield, the battle takes place for Christians. It's in the mind and the heart. We need that Holy Spirit to be able to stand our ground. That's what gives us the strength to stand. Um, God desires us to worship him in the spirit. John 4, 23 through 24 tells us, But the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship him. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and in truth. So not only do we have to battle in the spirit, we have to worship in the spirit. And in order to do that, we must be reborn into a new creation from the flesh to the spirit. And next, we must stay focused on God and his eternal kingdom that is unseen. 2 Corinthians 4.18 tells us, As we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. So the seen is the physical. The unseen is the spiritual. We must have a spiritual or eternal focus in our lives. Fasting and prayer helps us obtain and maintain that spiritual focus. Because if you're not spending time in prayer, and you're not spending time in fasting, if you're spending time in the world, you have to keep that focus in the right place. That's another purpose of fasting. Um, we must not walk in the spirit. I mean, we, no, we, must, we must walk in the spirit and not in the flesh. We see this in Galatians 5, 16 through 18. But I say, walk by the spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the spirit, and the desires of the spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other. To keep you from doing the things you want to do, but if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. So this verse talks about that war that is raging on the inside of believers. You know, Paul talks about that. I want to do what's good, and I keep doing what's bad. And I don't understand why I'm doing what's bad when I want to do what's good. Well, can I tell you today, that's a spiritual warfare. And um, Paul was a huge proponent of prayer and fasting. And that's how he battled. And that's how it helped him stay focused on Christ and his mission. Because we've all got a mission, right? Everyone who's a born-again believer in Christ has a mission. We have to stay on that mission. How do we stay on that mission? Mission is a spiritual discipline. And the two main ones are fasting and prayer. So all this helps us to stay on mission. Um, we must train ourselves for the service of God. 1 Timothy 4. 7 through 10, it tells us, having, having nothing to do with irreverent silly myths, rather train yourself for godliness, for while bodily training is of some value, godliness is of value in every way, as it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance, for to this end we toil and strive because we have a hope set on the living God who is the Savior of all people, especially those who believe. So physical training is basically useless because godliness and spiritual training is crucial. So if you're battling this battle, the best shape of your life, eat healthy, jog every day, it's not going to help you win this battle. Spend time on your knees, praying, spend time fasting, that's going to give you the tools and the strength necessary to fight this battle that we're going through and to stay on mission. And then we 
this desire to be mature in Christ, Colossians uh, chapter 1, verse 20 through 29 tells us that we may present everyone mature in Christ. For this I toil and struggle with all his energy that he powerfully works within me. So the more, the more mature we are, the better equipped we are to fight the battle. And the more mature we are, the more time we spend in prayer and fasting. Because to me, fasting, prayer, like, it, anything is like a bait. Sometimes it's something new. So when you become a Christian, you maybe start reading your Bible. Then you start praying. Well, fasting is not a non-mature activity. I don't think you really start fasting until you mature in Christ. And then fasting is only here for this minute, not later. So as we continue to mature, that's where fasting comes in even more. I would, I would say that mature Christians fast more than even I'm standing, standing up here before you talking about fasting. I don't fast. I just, I don't. Now, when, when, I, when I go through this, when I went through this study, this was more for me than for you guys. And now I'm seeing the benefits. Like, you know what? I can't fast now. But I just wasn't raised to fast. Even in the Baptist church, we didn't talk that much about fasting. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Dinner on the ground? Yes. Fasting? Not so much. So this was really a study for me, and I hope you guys get something out of this, because I do think now that I've gone through this, fasting is very, very important, very important. Um, so you'll notice that these verses that I went through, they talk about being reborn into a new holy person, worshiping God, battling the devil, staying focused on God, following Christ, training ourselves, and maturing as Christians. The primary focus of these verses is on the spirit, not the body. It's on the unseen, not the seen. It's heavenly focus, not the earthly focus. So if nothing else, it talk, when it talks about prayer and fasting, will just change our paradigm, if you will, change the focus on the heavenly things and the unseen things. And to be a, a, to be a Christian and produce fruit, and the only way to be a, a Christian that produces fruit and live the life that we need to, you got to stay focused on the unseen and focus on God. The moment you take your eyes off that, you stumble.
Tom tells us the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. And we got to spend more time in the spirit than we do in the flesh. And we don't tempt men. We just don't. We just don't. So when you look at these last couple of verses of 1 Timothy and Colossians, why is Paul toiling and struggling? Who or what is he struggling against? And why is it so hard to live in the spirit and convince other people that true happiness in this life is not this world, which is the sin nature, but true happiness is the person and relationship with Jesus Christ, which is the unseen nature. And that goes counterintuitive to everything we've grown up with believing. So the reason it's so hard and the reason that Paul was toiling and struggling is because Paul, like us, was battling the evil forces of this world. These are spiritual warfare that we saw in Ephesians 6, 12, where he said, we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the spiritual forces of evil. So, and some of you guys, um, and I don't know if you read spiritual warfare or not, but spiritual warfare is real. It's, it is, it's not so much a front-on assault, but it's developing in secret. Have you ever had a rough week and you get tired and you're like, fuck, I'm tired. Or you had a rough day at work and I don't feel like working. Or something's going on, and I don't want to go to church. Those are coincidences, but those are spiritual battles. That's what the devil does. It's the little things that he's just chipping away at. He's not going to come up and pull good old Kate out. He's going to chip away, and before you know it, you never read your Bible. You never pray. You never take spiritual moments. You go to church. You have a meeting. How do you keep that from happening in the spiritual discipline that we'll talk about this week? Keep them connected. And um, so, now that we understand who we are in Christ, what changes must take place in order for us to wage this war, how do we train? How do we do it? First, this is foremost, you must understand who you are in Christ. If you can't get past this point, you can go back to the beginning. Because we have to believe that Christ reconciled to God, we are saved by grace, we're eternally secure, Jesus is at the right hand of his Father, interceding for us, and there is no condemnation any longer for those who are in Jesus Christ. We have to believe that. This is our stronghold, our fortress, this is our truth that we're going to use to stand our ground. If you don't have that truth implanted not only in your head, but your heart, then your fortress, your foundation is on built on sand that's going to shift and move with the hardships that this world throws at us. Because if you don't 100% believe what I just read, then your prayer life and your fasting will suffer if you pray or fast at all. Because if you don't believe that part, then you're really not going to buy into the whole fasting and prayer part. So you've got to get that part right. You gotta look who who Christ is, what He did for you, who we are in Christ. Because I don't care what the devil tells you, what other people tell you, we've already we've already got the victory. We are standing in the place of victory. We're not trying to earn our victory. We've already got our victory. We just gotta stand our ground and believe this truth. If we can do that, then we can pray with power and believe, and we can fast with power. Because we believe that Jesus did die for us. He is at the right hand of the Father interceding for us. So if I know that, he's going to listen to me when I pray, when I fast. Right? So we see in 1 Peter 5.8, it tells us, Be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary the devil prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. The devil is real. He is really out there really seeking people to destroy. You see this happening every day in the unbelieving world. Cut on the TV. Crime, murder, greed. The world's a mess. It's because those people don't have the spirit and they don't have the power to battle the devil. They're losers. They're already lost. They don't have the victory because they don't have Jesus. But Jesus tells us in John 14, verse 16 through 17, he says, I will ask the Father, and 
and will give you another helper to be with you forever. Even the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him for he dwells within you and will be in you. So for us, we have the spirit of truth for born-again believers who believe what I read earlier that Christ died for us. He has it in there. And, and so we know that we have the spirit of truth and that it enables us to resist the devil. And through the spiritual discipline of prayer and fasting, it's, we train so we stay sober-minded and focused. So that's what it's all about. So we have the spirit of truth in us if we're born again believers. So we have the power to overcome the evil one. We have the power to overcome this world if we're born again believers. So what does it mean? If you only had the faith of a mustard seed, you could tell, well, this mountain can go and throw it in the lake. We Christians, sometimes it's because we don't live victorious lives. It's because we really don't believe who we are in Christ. Because the devil is whispering in our ears, and we don't think we have that power. But we do, because Jesus says right here, the spirit of truth, which is the Holy Spirit, dwells with you and will be in you. It's the same power that raised Jesus from the dead that dwells in us. It's the same power that we have. So always believe that. So this is a quote from a famous preacher. This is what it says. Fasting is a type of spiritual training that is meant to produce godliness and righteousness in our lives as we follow Christ. At the heart of fasting is denying ourselves in order to draw near to God. If done correctly, godliness and righteousness should be the fruit produced in our lives. This should be the fruit of every spiritual discipline. Anybody know who said that? Kenny Wells a couple Sundays ago. That was in his sermon notes. That was in his sermon notes. Spiritual training to produce godliness and righteousness in our lives as we follow Christ. And this should be the fruit of every spiritual discipline. Like we said, these are disciplines that we have to work at. This stuff doesn't come natural. We have to be committed and we have to work at this. So um, in Matthew 6, Jesus teaches about giving, praying, and fasting. That's what he starts out with in Matthew 6, 1. And then he goes through and talks about those three spiritual disciplines, along with reading God's word, I believe these are the key spiritual disciplines. There's more, but these are the main ones, giving, praying, fasting, and reading God's word. So and those disciplines are designed to produce godliness, righteousness, and the fruit of the spirit. So Galatians 5, 22 through 24 tells us, but the fruit of the spirit is love, joy, self-control. Against such things there is no law, and those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. The best way to crucify the flesh and to produce fruit is to read your Bible daily, give sacrificially, pray continuously, and fast spiritually. If you practice those four spiritual disciplines, your Christian walk will be in full alignment. And you know what else is going to happen if you practice those four disciplines? The war will be won. If you haven't been in the war yet, it's going to be real bad because the devil is going to attack you. Because now you've stepped out in faith. Now you're starting to understand what this is all about. You're starting to, you're starting to practice the spiritual disciplines. And that's called maturity. You're growing up in your faith. You're being mature. We see in Matthew uh, 6 1, this is what Matthew says. This is the very beginning of it. Matthew chapter 6, verse 1. There's a spiritual battle taking place here. Jesus starts out this chapter by saying, Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them, for then you will have no reward from your Father who is heaven. And then he goes on to talk about giving, growing prayer, and fasting. And we see this by how the, the religious Jews at the time was treating these disciplines. The, the religious Jews at the time, they was really worshiping themselves because they wanted everybody to see them and how righteous they were. 
So they were putting themselves on a pedestal or putting themselves like God because they were worshiping themselves. They cared more about the praise of men than did God. So the devil had hardened their hearts and they were handling spiritual disciplines with earthly hands. They were walking in the flesh and not in the spirit. So to walk and live in the spirit means we must put to death the flesh. We see this in Romans 8, 13 through 14, where it says, For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. So the Jews were pretending to be holy and righteous in front of the crowd. And 2 Timothy 3.15 talks about people just like that having the appearance of godliness but denying the power of Lord's own people. This is important when it says denying the power. So if you are if you are practicing the spiritual disciplines with truth, in truth and in spirit, and you're doing it the right way, you can receive power. God will bless that. We can have a reward. Remember, Jesus said they're doing this in front of men to be seen by men. They've got their reward. That's all they're going to get. But if we practice these disciplines, he says, I'll bless you. I'll give you reward. And part of that reward is we will have the power of Christ with us. Because people that try to do things in their own strength fail. They have no power. They never they never last. They never sustain. Because our strength can only go so far. But if you're connected with Christ and you're doing it the right way, it's his strength that will sustain you. Philippians 4.13, right? nothing in himself, only through Christ. That's fasting. It's that relationship, that connection. Then Jesus goes on to say that when it says in 2 Timothy 3, 5, avoid such people, Jesus said such people were whitewashed tombs in Matthew 23, 27 through 8. Jesus talked about the Jewish leaders and said, woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you are like whitewashed tombs which outwardly appear beautiful, but within are full of dead people's bones and all uncleanness. So you also outwardly appear righteous to others, but within you are full of hypocrisy and falsehood. So when the Jews fasted on Mondays and Thursdays, that just happened to be the busiest days of the week, they were doing that to be seen by people. They were trying to appear righteous, but really it was all a show so if Jesus says, don't be like those people, don't do what they were doing. So we either walk and live in the Spirit, and if you're not walking in the Spirit, if you're not yielded to God in your Bible reading, your prayers, your fasting, your giving, or long-suffering, and if those four spiritual disciplines are suffering, then guess what? You become a holy Christian. That produces little to no fruit. And so in 1 Peter um, chapter 2, verse 2, Peter tells us, Like newborn infants long for the pure spiritual milk, that by it you may grow into salvation. Matthew 5, 6 tells us, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. And then Jesus tells us in John chapter 15, verse 4 through 6, This is the teaching. Says, Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me, and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers, and the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire, and burned. Walking in the Spirit produces hunger and thirst for righteousness. And if we are abiding in Christ by fasting and prayer, He nourishes us and we can produce much fruit. Apart from Christ, we wither and our light grows dim in a dark world and we become indifferent. So I'll give you an analogy when I think about abiding. 
is life, and there is no darkness in him. So if you can picture, remember, we're in spirit. But Paul tells us that when we're saved, we're placed in the, in the heavenly environment somehow in this life on earth. I don't understand how that works. Picture God in the universe. The universe is dark. God is light. So picture the universe in this bright light. And then around this bright light is all these people. These are Christians, whether we believe it or not. So the church is the deal. So you've got the church, born-again believers, around this light of Christ. Okay. As we lose focus, or we lose focus of Christ, we turn and we just slide away. Outside the light is darkness. That's the realm of the devil. So as we Christians, we stop abiding in him, and we and we slide away from abiding in darkness. The farther we get away from that light, the more exposed we are to the attacks of the devil. And then when you keep going away, and next thing you know, if you haven't read your Bible, you haven't prayed, you haven't fasted, you haven't gone to church in those years, you have slid out into this darkness. And now you're back in that ignorance where you weren't before. And now you're in this darkness, and you're in this path. And so today, if you feel like you're in darkness, if you feel like you're under attack, if things aren't going like you think they're going, you think you're in this spiritual battle, what do you do? You run to the light. That's what we do. We run back to the light. How do you do that? Pick your Bible up. Get to your knees. Pray. Fast. Ask for forgiveness. If you ask for forgiveness, you feel forgiven. You go back to the light, and once you're back connected, guess what? You have power. You know, the old analogy says, what happens when you take a piece of wood out of the fire and you throw it to the side? It moves into the light. It moves into the heat. Because it's not connected. We have to stay connected in Christ. We have to abide in Him. So we have to stay connected to that light. You get away from the light, then you get get attacked. So exposed at that point. So walking in the Spirit, don't let your light the way we keep from being weak Christians is to practice the spiritual disciplines. As we fast, we've got to make sure we're fasting for the right reasons. We're not we're seeking God's approval, not our family's approval or our friend's approval. And we can be sure that we're fasting correctly if we follow Jesus' teachings in Matthew 6, 16, where Jesus tells us how they should fast. He says, do not do this, do not do this. He tells us what not to do, and that tells us how to fast. To fast the right way. There's a there's a great quote by John Piper. I don't think anybody knows who John Piper is, but this is a great quote. It says, "The absence of fasting is the measure of our contentment with the absence of Christ. If we don't feel strong desires for the manifestation of the glory of God, it is not because we have drunk deeply and are satisfied. It is because we have nibbled so long." At the table of the world, our soul is stuffed with small things, and there is no room for tender things. So I think that's a great verse. So the absence of fasting is the measure of our contentment with the absence of Christ. And it says, because we have nibbled so long at the table of the world, we have focused so much on the fleeting things of this world that our soul is stuffed with small things. Those small things, that could be worry, that could be a job, that could be a family, that could be a car, that could be all the material stuff. And we're so focused on that stuff that we have no room in our heart for the great things of life, which is Christ. And we can get caught up in this world on the rat race, if you would, and we don't have time for Christ. And before you know it, gets away from us. So what happens when, what do you do when that happens? You go back to the light. You get back with God. We see Jesus, he fasted and prayed before he started his earthly ministry. In Matthew 4, verse 1 through 3, it says, Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. After fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry and content. So the devil is waiting moment before he can attack you, right? Um, Jesus used those 40 days to fast and pray to be ready to do battle with the tempter. 
this is our example on how to be victorious in our battles. We must abide in Christ and his power will to overcome the world. How do we do that? Fasting and prayer. How did Jesus do it? Fasting and prayer. And when the devil came and tempted Jesus, how did devil, how did Jesus rebuke the devil? He spoke the scripture. Another spiritual discipline. Reading the Bible. So when you do get attacked and you're at your weakest and you're at, at rock bottom and the devil comes and the tempter comes, if you haven't spent enough time in that spiritual discipline of reading the Bible, you won't have the ammunition to fight back. Because the Bible is the truth of God's word. It's our anchor. It's that fortress that I was talking about earlier where we stand our ground. You know, a house built on the rock, when the storm comes, it's going to stand. It's that fortress. And our rock is the truth of Scripture. You won't get that foundation if you don't read the Bible. So Bible reading, uh, prayer, fasting. It worked for Jesus. It can work for us. It was important for Jesus. It should be important to us. Um, there are specific purposes for fasting, and none of those purposes are self-serving. We're meant to impress people or show piety like the hypocrites were doing in Matthew 6. Fasting is meant to help us draw closer to God, grow in our godliness and our righteousness so we can produce fruit in our lives for the glory of God. It's all about God. Everything is about the glory of God. Matthew chapter 6, verse 25 and 30 and 33 tells us, Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is, is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O oh, you of little faith? But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Trusting God to provide for your needs will strengthen your prayer and fasting. Unless you truly believe that God is big enough to handle your problems, you can't pray and you can't fast. You've got to understand that he's big enough to take care of our problems. And we're to seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all this other stuff that needs to be done. It's that focus on the unseen. Get your focus off the seen in this world and your troubles and everything that's going on. Take your focus off that and focus it back on Christ. He'll take care of all that's needed. Not all your wants, but all your needs. Right? So as we put God first in our lives, he promises to take care of us. This is another truth, another stronghold that we can stand on. I don't know if it hurt you, but when you're going through hard times, when you're in the midst of earth, you need to say, God's taking going to take care of me. I can do this. Because if God can die for me, be buried, and raise again, can do that, he can take care of any problem I got. If he doesn't take care of the problem I have in this world, sometimes he doesn't. I know when I do die, when I'm revealed, what I'm with him in the next world, all my problems are gone. So one way or the other, he's going to take care of my problems. In this world or the world to come. In this world,
nobody persecuted me. I dare say there were still considerable groups trying to get their doctrine all over the world telling people those early Christians, the reason they scattered, they were running for their life. And as they went, they preached and they shared the good news and the church grew. But absolutely, God uses the tough times in our life to draw us closer to Him to fulfill His purpose. Our greatest to fulfill God's purpose, not our own purpose. And our greatest reward will be when we do that because our greatest rewards are in heaven, not on this earth. And the interesting thing, when you look at Matthew 6, so Jesus starts out in verse 1, he says, Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them, for then you will have no reward from your Father in heaven. And then he talks about that. Well, he goes through and he talks about how they were giving in the wrong spirit. He goes through how they were praying in the wrong spirit. Then he goes to verse 16, how they're they're fasting in the wrong spirit. And what does he talk about in verse 19, right after he talks about that? It says, do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. Then he starts talking about lay up your treasures in heaven. And that's what it's about. Pleasing God, fulfilling His purpose, and when we do that, when we practice His spiritual disciplines, then we get the reward in heaven. And then, like Paul talks about, he says, "The troubles of this world mean nothing because this world is a vapor, and it is worth the troubles that is in this this world for the heaven or the promise of heaven that each one of us seeks." So this life is short. This life is practicing the spiritual disciplines, you can stand on your feet. You can make it through this world without an escape. You can have bumps and bruises and maybe worse, but then in the end, when we do meet Jesus face to face, I hope he says to everyone in this room, well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into your rest. And that's when the rewards in heaven will be given to us. And when that happens, I may not be right about anything else, but I'm right about this. When that happens, going to look back and say, that was the one thing Bob said that came to fruition. Because these rewards that we've got now, it was worth that little bit of time and the hardship that we had on this earth. Because I don't know about you, the older I get, time just passes. It just flies by. But I know in heaven, eternity has no limit. Eternal lasts forever. So, that's what we do. That's what we do. But focus on the unseen, not the seen. Matthew 16 and verse 25 says, Then Jesus told his disciples, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, and whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what will it profit a man who gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? Or what shall a man give in return for his soul? Jesus was focusing his disciples' attention on the unseen, the world that really matters. The world is temporary, the world stuff, the world worldly system, it doesn't last, and it wages war on the soul of believers, and it keeps unbelievers from trusting and following Christ. And so what Jesus was telling his disciples, focus on the unseen, focus on God's kingdom. This world doesn't matter. The things of this world doesn't matter. And the only way you can do that is to join with him in his creation. Because in our flesh, in our strength, we can't do that. But with God's help, with God's spirit, and practicing these spiritual disciplines, we can do it. We can. We can do it. Jesus tells us in John 10.10, The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. Christians that lose the focus on Jesus and focus too much on the world around us, concerns of this world will not have the abundant life that Jesus is talking about in this verse. We, do, we will still have the abundant life in heaven someday, but we will miss out on blessings here on this earth. So fasting is one way we can deny ourselves, submit to God's leading so we can follow him and have an abundant life in this world and the world to come. Giving a few meals.
focused on Christ and to grow in godliness and righteousness so we can meet heaven someday is to be working and doing the work of the Lord. And like I said before, this world is a messed up place sometimes. Um, it's a place of anger, discontentment. It is depressing to watch religious people. So um, people, they don't like their jobs. They don't like their bosses. Half the time, they don't like their spouse. Everybody's married, you can say amen to that. We don't like our spouse sometimes. Uh, we don't like ourselves. We don't like our house. Our neighbors have better stuff than we do. We're discontent. People hate each other over ideas and opinions and speech. Something I never thought I would see. It's hard to have a civil conversation and disagreement. We live in the age of cancel culture. You say the wrong thing, they can cancel you. It's just it's scary. But family's under attack. Manhood and womanhood is under attack. Marriage is under attack. These, these, these are the Christian values that really hold our society together. And these are under attack because as the marriage and family go, so goes the world. It really does. The church and Christians are under attack like never before in America. We're in a spiritual battle and it's heating up. Romans 13 11 tells us, besides this, you know the time that the hour has come for you to wake from sleep. For salvation is nearer to us now than when we first believed. As Christians, we have to wake up. We have to understand the reason the world is in a mess and our lives are sometimes in a mess is because there is a spiritual battle going on and we're on the front lines. We're on the front lines. John tells us in chapter 844, I mean, Jesus tells us in John chapter 844, the devil is a murderer and a liar. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character, for he is a liar and the father of lies. Don't believe the lies of the devil. Keep your eyes focused on Jesus. Don't neglect your spiritual disciplines. Don't fall into the traps of anger and discontentment. Renew your mind daily, focusing on the blessings that you have and the wonderful love and grace that Jesus showed to us when he died on that cross so we can show other people that love and grace. That's part of our purpose in this life. Never forget to count your blessings. Galatians 5.16 tells us, But I say, walk by the Spirit, and do not gratify the desires of the flesh. Jesus tells us in John 16.33 to have peace. I have said these things to you, that in me you may have peace. In this world you have tribulation, but take heart, I have overcome the world. No matter the circumstances you're going through, no matter what is happening, Jesus offers us peace. If we believe and if we build our foundation on those truths I talked about earlier. Build your foundation on those truths. No matter what happens, you can have peace. How do you have peace? Because I can say, Lord, this world may not be any better, but I know John 4.4 4 tells us, Little children, you are from God and have overcome them. For he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. The spirit who lives in us is greater than this ruler of the world. Jesus has overcome the world. Jesus has already won us the victory. It's in this position of victory that we stand our ground and fight the spiritual battle that we want to win. And then last verse in James 4.7-8 says, Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil. He will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. So Christ did not say, if you fast, but when you fast. He expects his followers to fast. Fasting and prayer redirects our focus and commitment on Christ and helps us to overcome the schemes of the devil. Spiritual training and spiritual disciplines of prayer and fasting produce godliness and righteousness helps us to deny ourselves and draw near to God. And the closer we stay to God, the more abundant life we will have in this world and the world to come and the greater peace we can enjoy 